It's always a great pleasure when we can explore the extraordinary legacy of William Shakespeare. And it is always a, a special pleasure when we can, in a sense, dig beneath the surface and explore some of the mysteries that surround Shakespeare. And in particular, some of the questions which have dogged the legacy of Shakespeare uh, for hundreds of years, namely, who exactly is responsible for the plays we attribute to William Shakespeare? Uh, did he write them? Did he write them on his own? Uh, were they inspired by others? Is there even the possibility that there are people who are largely responsible for at least some of his greatest works? Uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today explores the tireless explorations of one Dennis McCarthy, who has uh, explored such a, a possibility, and um, that is the possibility of, of someone, in a sense, lurking behind the scenes uh, with a large, large amount of responsibility for what we think of as solely Shakespeare's works. And uh, Michael Blanding's book is called North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work. That subtitle refers to a scholar by the name of Dennis McCarthy, and uh, we maybe put the term scholar in quotation marks because he is himself uh, quite a controversial figure uh, and does not come to this with necessarily the standard credentials, but he has been tireless in his efforts to explore this intriguing question of uh, the possibility of a, of a certain figure from close to Shakespeare's time being at least somewhat responsible for the plays of Shakespeare, one Thomas North. So there is the central crux of this fascinating new book called North by Shakespeare, published by Hachette. And I'm very excited to be able to speak with the author of this book, uh, Michael Blanding, who's already given the world a couple of uh, fascinating books uh, before this, The Map Thief, the gripping story of an esteemed rare map dealer who made millions stealing priceless maps, and The Coke Machine, the dirty truth behind the world's favorite soft drink. Again, this new book called North by Shakespeare. Michael Blanding, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here and talk about the book. Uh, this sometimes is a, a bit of a mundane question. Once in a while I skip it, but I sure don't want to skip it in this case. How did you first find out the story of Dennis McCarthy and Dennis McCarthy's uh, uh, great curiosity about one Thomas North? When did this story first cross your path? Yeah, that's a bit of a story in and of itself. I was giving a talk for my last book uh, in 2015, so about six years ago. And Dennis approached me afterwards, and we got to talking, and, and uh he, it turned out that he had uh, written about maps uh, as well, and, and so we had that in common, and, and he invited me out for, for drinks, and, and after uh, a couple of drinks, he, he laid the story on me and said that he'd been sort of obsessively researching the source of Shakespeare's plays for the last decade, and that he thought that they were based on, on the work of this earlier writer, Sir Thomas North. And at the time, I you know, had only kind of vaguely been aware of these conspiracy theories about Shakespeare and about someone else writing the plays, and I really didn't believe any of it. I, I, I uh, sort of humored him, and I said, sure, send me, send me what you got, and, and I'll take a look at it. 
And he started sending me just document after document with just this really compelling evidence about uh, this possibility that Shakespeare borrowed from the works of this this other really, uh, really fascinating, amazing figure. And uh, that kind of started me on this path where, you know, eventually we we traveled through through Europe together and, and uh, you know, had conversation after conversation. And I did some of my own research and, and really, uh, really came to believe that there was something there. Interesting. It's interesting, the connotation of the term conspiracy theory <laughs> or conspiracy theorist. And I think for right. most of us, that's, it's not a very positive connotation. I mean, it is uh, somebody who not only sees a shooter on every grassy knoll in Dallas, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, who sees sort of sinister workings behind every closed door. I mean, obviously, there are conspiracy theorists who are not operating in the realm of reality or or fact or science uh and i suspect you know what you the way you described this first meeting with dennis mccarthy that you probably shared some of those misgivings right off the bat yeah well well what's interesting is that you know i sort of use the term literally because a lot of people do believe that there was a conspiracy back in elizabethan times and that Another writer like Sir Francis Bacon or the Earl of Oxford really wrote the plays, and it was sort of this, you know, closely held secret by by a number of people. And what what I came to find about McCarthy's theory that I found really interesting is that he believes that uh, that Sir Thomas North didn't actually write the plays, but that he wrote these earlier source plays that Shakespeare then took and, and adapted, almost like you know. Peter Jackson adapting J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or, or something like that. And, and so Shakespeare could actually put his name on these legitimately. And, uh, you know, at least by the standards of the time, they could be seen as Shakespeare's work. So there was no, no conspiracy needed for, for this, uh, this theory. And, and, it, and it made a lot of sense that uh, there have always been these questions about how Shakespeare could have the knowledge of traveling in Italy or fighting as a soldier in war, or all of these things that, that are you know so brilliantly depicted in the plays, and yet yet we find no evidence of it in Shakespeare's biography, and yet uh, Thomas North's biography is, is sort of chock full of, of this, this information. So it, it became a very intriguing possibility. Right. Well, in the subtitle of the book, you term Dennis McCarthy a rogue scholar. Uh, <laughs> So it's probably important for us to explore that question and maybe also explore what I said at the outset. I think I called him a scholar with quotes around the word scholar, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe that's being unfair to him. But I think you yourself have called him a self-taught scholar, and there are plenty of people who would say, you know, that's, that, that's something else. That's not a real scholar when a real scholar teaches themselves everything they know. <laughs> There's a little bit missing from the equation, but that also maybe is an unfair uh, assumption. Uh, tell us more about Dennis McCarthy and why he deserves to be called not just a scholar, but a rogue scholar. Yeah, he is He is really a fascinating character. I mean, he, he as a subject, he becomes as much a part of the book as, as Sir Thomas North or William Shakespeare, because uh, he actually uh, is not trained as, as a scholar, not trained as a Shakespearean. In fact, he barely graduated high school and dropped out of college. But he's one of these people that's just, uh, you know, incredibly smart. And when they apply themselves to something, they, you know, just go all in and, and can, it can uncover and, and learn things about it that, that maybe people who are, uh, you know, more traditionally trained uh, don't see. And he did this 
first with, uh, with science and, and started studying this field uh, called biogeography, which looks at kind of how plants and animals move around the world. And he actually ended up publishing these academic papers in, in journals and even wrote a book about the subject that was really well received by people. And then about 15 years ago, he turned to the subject of Shakespeare and, and originally was sort of interested in, in Shakespeare's stories and looking how these stories kind of moved around the world from writers to writers. And that's how he sort of stumbled on Sir Thomas North as this missing link in, in Shakespeare's plays. And uh, since then, he has, uh, you know, just dove in. And, you know, his techniques are, are really interesting because a lot of them revolve around uh, using uh, computers in interesting ways to analyze the plays. And uh, they're techniques that have been used by other scholars, but I think he comes at it with uh, with a real open mind and, and without a lot of the baggage that maybe some classically trained Shakespeareans have who sort of, you know, deify William Shakespeare as this, as this sort of lone genius. And so it's caused him to be able to to look at it in a new way and, and say, yes, Shakespeare may have been this genius adapter of, of these other plays, but, but that indeed uh, he was not solely responsible. When you describe this first encounter with Dennis McCarthy in your book, uh, I remember you saying to the effect that as, as he was kind of spinning all of this out for you, you struggled to follow his argument. <laughs> and... Yeah. And uh, and and but at some point you, in a sense, became a believer, or if not a believer, uh, there be there there was something about what he was saying to you, even if you didn't understand each and every bit of it, uh, that was compelling to you, and and led you to believe that there might actually something there might be something there, uh, aside from just kind of the mountain of of supposed evidence that he had mm. assembled. What else was it about uh, the argument or the case he was putting to you that was so convincing? Yeah, well, I, I try to maintain my skepticism as a, as a journalist throughout the book and really present the evidence and let the reader decide. But, you know, I have to say I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't think that there was really something there. And how much of what McCarthy claims is, is true, again, I'll leave that up to the reader. But, you know, what... What he's able to do is, first of all, use this this computer software to find all of these phrases that were in Thomas North's printed and, and unprinted work that has shown up in, in Shakespeare in really really interesting and and, uh, and surprising ways. You know, he literally has thousands of, of these phrases or in hundreds of passages that have been lifted from Thomas North into Shakespeare. But beyond that, he's also been, for each play, been able to to trace uh, elements of, of Thomas North's life that he's he's found, and, and you know various references and allusions to what was happening in, in, in Elizabethan history at the time that that would have interested North. And he's able to do this for for each and every play for 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 fifty years. And when you start looking at just that mass and that accumulation of evidence, and then have to kind of wrap your head around the number of coincidences that would, would have to be true in order for, for that to, to uh, just be happenstance, uh, it, becomes, it becomes harder and harder to, to believe that there wasn't something there. And, and so ultimately, yeah, if not convinced, I, I definitely was, uh, was compelled and, and, and persuaded by, by a lot of his work and, and really think it could change the way we read the plays. We're, re we're uh, speaking with Michael Blanding about his new book, North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth 
behind the Bard's work. Uh, it is an examination of of this possibility that one Thomas North uh, deserves at least some credit uh, for the plays that we think of as being solely by William Shakespeare, uh, the contention of one Dennis McCarthy and Michael Blanding in this book not only explores the, that central question, but also uh, writes about Dennis McCarthy's tireless uh, exploration uh, of this of this very possibility. Um, one of the really beautiful passages in your book, among many, uh, is towards the very beginning in which uh, you describe a certain majestic scene uh, in 1575. And uh, it's a really intriguing example of what you were talking about earlier in terms of elements that show up in Shakespeare's play that would seem to have been inspired by events that he very likely did not or even could not have witnessed himself. Explain to uh, our listeners the scene that I am talking about that you spell out in your book so beautifully and the way in which that connects to this central question of where Shakespeare's plays came from. Yeah, this was this amazing party that took place in, in 1575 that's uh, called the, the Kenilworth Festival. And uh, I really enjoyed kind of diving into uh, exploring this, this moment in, in history in which uh, this, this man named uh, Robert Dudley, who was the Earl of Leicester, was trying to woo Queen Elizabeth, and, and he pulled out all the stops in this amazing party that lasted for 19 days, and there were, you know, 40 bottles of, of wine a day that people were, were swilling, and, and these elaborate entertainments involving, uh, you know, people uh, dressed up in, in these fairy costumes and, and these, all these sort of mechanical devices rigged on this man-made lake with, you know, a mermaid and... and uh, uh, people dressed up as Greek gods. I mean, it was really the premier entertainment of the time. And scholars have long identified a a passage in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream as being inspired by the Kenilworth Festival. And yet they have no idea how Shakespeare could have witnessed this because he was only 10 years old at the time and he wouldn't sort of have had the credentials, you know, to as a commoner to, to get up close and, and see these entertainments. And yet we know that, that Sir Thomas North's brother was uh, the best friend of, of the Earl of Leicester, and he attended the Kenilworth Festival. And while there's not a record of, of Thomas North attending, it's, it's very likely that, that, he, that he went with his brother. And so, you know, it's, it's one of these sort of uncanny connections uh, to, to Thomas North's life and, and, and one of the plays that, uh, you know, really tie them together and, and, and raise this intriguing possibility that, that he, he may have actually witnessed these entertainments and, and then worked them into this scene in A Midsummer Night's Dream that, that's, that's lasted throughout the ages. Hmm. Tell us more about Thomas North, his life, and in particular his legacy as a writer. Yeah, so Thomas North is best known as a translator of, uh, of other works, and his, his best-known translation is called Plutarch's Lives, and it's a series of biographies about Greek and Roman uh, personages. And it's been very well established that this book is the source for Shakespeare's Roman plays, Julius Caesar, Antony and Cleopatra, um, Coriolanus. And in fact, there's whole passages from Plutarch's Lives that are basically 
lifted into these Roman plays, almost verbatim. Uh, you know, maybe Shakespeare changes them from prose into poetry, but but you know, a lot of the wording is is the same. And you know, it's notable because it's really the only source that Shakespeare ever used like that. Every other source, he would rewrite it, and he would make it its own, and he would change it. And it's only these these plays by uh, these uh, uh, Roman plays in which he's using Plutarch's lives that he follows it so closely. And but McCarthy believes actually that those are not the only plays that Shakespeare used Thomas North as a source, and that that North wrote uh, a number of other uh, plays himself that Shakespeare used, and and uh, uh, for you know, uh, many other works in, in the canon, including Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet and King Lear, um, you name it. And um, as I said before, you know, uh, North led this this amazing life where he fought in war, he served as a diplomat to France, he traveled to Italy on this delegation to the Pope, and so he really had all of these amazing experiences that uh, that that could have somehow made their way into the plays and, and then and have been adapted by Shakespeare many years later. One of the intriguing questions, evidently, is that uh, Dennis McCarthy seems to believe that Sir Thomas North himself wrote plays that would have been that direct link into the plays of Shakespeare, but we do not know of the actual existence of any of such any such plays. I mean, is there even the mention of Sir Thomas North actually writing plays himself? There are some clues that McCarthy has identified that seem to point to Thomas North as a playwright, but you're right. The actual plays that he is uh, speculating that Shakespeare adapted do not exist. And that has been a real sticking point, as you can imagine, for a lot of the of the scholars who have uh, criticized and and, uh, and even attacked McCarthy, where they're saying, you know, you're, you're basically making up these plays that don't exist and, and uh, you know, what, what grounds do you have to do that? And McCarthy's response is that actually uh, most of the plays from the Elizabethan period have been lost. We only have like uh, 10% of, of the plays that, uh, that we know were written at the time. And there's only maybe another 10% where we even know their names or something about their plot. But in terms of actual uh, source plays that Shakespeare adapted, we, we do know that, that Shakespeare often used other plays. And, and there are specific plays that have specific names and, and, as I say, elements of their plot that are even spelled out in, in historical documents that people speculate Shakespeare used as uh, uh, plays that he adapted. And so what McCarthy's really doing is just saying that all of those source plays that scholars have identified were all written by the same person, and that's Thomas North. And and that is certainly controversial, and it certainly causes people to, uh, you know, raise their, their head and, and, and decry McCarthy's work, but it's not as radical as, uh, as it may first seem. Right. In other words, uh, when we first hear about this, we immediately think of terms like plagiarism and plagiarism mm-hmm. as we think of that term. And that term simply does not apply here or does not apply in the way that we customarily use that term uh, in, in 2021. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, the word plagiarism doesn't even enter the English language until 1598, which is well into Shakespeare's career and, and almost at the end of Thomas North's life. And 
you know, at the at the time, it was really common practice for writers to take other works and rewrite them and rework them and, and make them their own and put their name on it. And you know, it was a very established sort of practice that you had all of these plays with sort of similar names or certain similar plots that people were, were uh, you know, passing off as their own. But at the same time, there were a number of other writers who sort of pointed to Shakespeare. There's, there's uh, you know, satirical pamphlets that still exist where they were actually uh, accusing Shakespeare of, of sort of lifting material from other writers and they weren't too happy about it. And they, they called him an upstart crow and, and said that, you know, he, he beautified himself with the, with the feathers of other, of other writers. So even back then, there were some questions about how original Shakespeare's plays actually were. But a lot of that's gotten lost as we sort of you know, held Shakespeare up as sort of the be-all and, and end-all of, of, of Elizabethan drama. Back to Dennis McCarthy for a moment. Uh, most of the conspiracy theorists that I know, and I've known a couple, uh, <laughs> tend to really uh, live uh, and be sustained by what uh, gets commonly called confirmation bias. That mm. is, by uh, glomming onto uh, every bit of information that confirms what they believe to be true or want to be true and uh, conveniently bypassing any evidence to the contrary. I'm just curious, uh, would Dennis McCarthy be guilty of that? And as you were kind of following him, uh, if, if indeed you kind of witnessed that, was part of your role to try to keep him as honest as possible in his pursuit of this question? Or were you more of an observer not wanting to be a part of it to that extent? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a good question. And, you know, what I will say about Dennis is that he is incredibly obsessive. I mean, he has to be to have followed this for 15 years, you know, especially in the face of all the rejection that, that he's received from, from mainstream uh, academia. But, you know, I tried as a journalist to really question him and, and really, um, you know, raise raise other possibilities, and 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 I include a, a lot of that in the book as well. There's some some things that that he puts out there that I found you know a little a little hard to swallow, and uh, and I and I call him on that in the book. But he he seems very conscious of trying to avoid that kind of confirmation bias that you talk about. For example, when he uses this computer plagiarism software to compare Thomas Norris' work and Shakespeare's plays. He has also done this additional search, so he'll find these, you know, passages in the plays that have a number of phrases in common, and then he'll take those phrases and he'll go and he'll he'll check them in, in databases that of basically all the literature from the period and say, you know, is this something that was just very common at the time? Was everybody kind of using these phrases, using these words, or was this really unique to to Shakespeare and Thomas North? And in many cases, many many cases, they're actually unique to. Shakespeare and Thomas North, or they're very rare, and, and, and other writers weren't using them. So you know, you you see, you see him him struggling with that and, and trying to you know really question his his own bias, which which made it uh, a lot more um, a lot more palatable to me when I started uh, following him and, and questioning him that that he you know had sort of come from a scientific background. He's he's aware of this kind of. Uh, tendency that 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 scientists uh, have to uh, you know see things the way they want to see them let's say and, uh, and and has actively tried to fight against it is he 
unanimously rejected by the mainstream Shakespeare scholar community, or are there at least pockets of Shakespeare scholars of of a more traditional stripe who find some of Dennis McCarthy's arguments compelling? So he has had one scholar who has gone all in with him, and this is a woman by the name of June Schluter, who is a professor at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania, and she was actually the former editor of a Shakespeare journal, so she she really knows her Shakespeare. And he approached her about a paper that she had written years ago, and they had gotten to talking, and he started sharing evidence with her. And the more she she looked at it, the more she really started to to believe and to buy into his theories, and has really helped him kind of shape the the theories and, and make them more palatable to an academic audience. And in fact, they've written books together. Uh, they have uh, written about these two manuscripts that that Dennis has has found in in the archives and uh, and brought out uh, books with scholarly presses and, and published some academic papers on this together. And so she has really legitimized him in a way with 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 some other scholars who uh, you know maybe have have sort of grudgingly accepted at least parts of of Dennis's theories because he's had this um, this other uh, scholar who has who has worked with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, one of the things that I find really interesting is that oftentimes when, when McCarthy just, just puts out a part of his theory and says, you know, here's, here's a manuscript I discovered that's a source for Shakespeare, then he'll get all this attention and excitement, and, and scholars will say, yes, you know, this is a really amazing find. And then as soon as he says, and I believe that, that it was used by Thomas North to write these source plays, they, they just shut the door and they say, you know, as soon as you start saying anything about someone else writing Shakespeare's plays, you know, they, they, just, they just don't want to listen. And I found that to be very, um, very intriguing, but also very, very unfair. And, and it was part of the reason I wanted to write the book. Hmm. A last question. Uh, this possibility that Thomas North uh, is a figure behind the scenes uh, in the construction of Shakespeare's plays. What does that do to you as you read Shakespeare now? Does that alter either the way you see these plays or the way you appreciate these plays or experience them? What kind of difference does that make for you and should it make for the rest of us uh, if indeed this possibility of Thomas North uh, proves to be true? Yeah, it's a really great question, because you could say, you know, what does it matter who wrote the plays, whether it was Shakespeare or the Earl of Oxford or, or Thomas North? You know, the plays are the plays. They've stood the test for hundreds of years and, and you know, been performed and loved. And I think that that's true on the one hand. But on the other hand, when you start looking at the plays through the lens of Thomas North's life and work, it opens up a whole new possibilities and a whole new richness through which we can experience the plays differently. You know, for example, Thomas North was, was really obsessed in many of his works with writing about uh, kind of what it, what it takes to make a good ruler. And when you read Shakespeare's plays, you know, they're, they're so fascinated with this question, you know, not just the English histories, but in, in Hamlet and Macbeth and, and even As You Like It and The Tempest, it's all about sort of you know, revolution against uh, against bad rulers or, or embracing good rulers. And so it kind of allows you to read some of those plays in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other thing is that, you know, there's elements of Thomas North's life that um, 
you know, he really experienced some of these uh, uh, experiences that are reflected in the plays, whether it's uh, Henry V and and the fact that Thomas North went to war and, and you know, lived this sort of disastrous war in, in Ireland, and you can see that reflected in, in Henry V, or the fact that he was in poverty at one point when he was older, and you see, you know, King Lear, this impoverished king, when, when he was older. And so when you start to read the plays and know some of the background of the person who may be responsible for, for writing it, it really allows you to reinterpret it and really allows you to, I, I think, kind of feel it more deeply than, than you otherwise would have. The book, again, is North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Works, published by Hachette and the author Michael Blanding. Michael Blanding, thank you so much for giving the world a really fascinating book. And thank you so much for joining me today on The Morning Show. I'm so happy to have had this chance to speak with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been really fun to talk about it.